Yes, sir. We're ready to bring some more great content to everybody here on the Man on Second podcast on Real Voices of the Game Productions. Um, Joe Frasaro joined, as always, by Dave D'Agostino, our co-host and producer. Mission, as always, at the channel is to raise the baseball IQs of our audience. We will do so today with our very special guest, Chris Carminucci, uh, pro scout with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, uh, Chris will be making his second appearance, on, and the first time we're on on iHeart. But we bring before we bring in Chris, um, let's bring in Dave with some announcements. Dave, how you doing? Uh, doing great. Always love to have Chris on. He's got such a unique niche in baseball um, with his story. So I will I'll let the story speak for themselves. Though I want to thank two two groups quickly. First, our audience, fifty seven thousand and growing, seventy four countries grassroots MLB front offices. We appreciate your support. You helped us get on iHeart. Now help us continue to stay and grow up their charts with their powerful podcast network. Give this show five stars at the end. Write some nice comments because we do battle the analytics of the podcast world just like they do in Major League Baseball. To our second group, our newest friend, the first friend we invited in from the the, uh, endorsement marketing field here, Blackout Coffee. Their slogan is Be Awake, Not Woke. Uh, they loved our vibe on our network, Joe. Apparently, they like to build better baseball IQs, too. Uh, but right now, I'm drinking my espresso in my blackout coffee cup, believe it or not. We're audio only, so I'm going to have to do a mugshot after <laughs> let people know that I am drinking my blackout coffee. But 20% off at checkout. You can get unlimited coffee in your first purchase if you type in David, D-A-V-I-D, number 20 afterwards. So capital D-A-V-I-D with the number 20 gets you 20% off your first purchase. And after your first purchase, once you're in, you get 15% off in perpetuity. So what a great friend. Any friend that loves baseball and coffee, they got me. So um, I'll I'll turn that back. Episode 346 now, Joe. Can you believe that? Chris was on six months ago. Yeah. Yeah. A lot has happened and and a lot of really positive uh, signs as this uh, network is growing and we're having a lot of fun doing it. And part of that is, Dave, as you as you alluded to have the guest as we do, the Chris Carminucci's of the world. Uh, Chris, Pro Scout, Arizona Diamondbacks, a uh, man who wears many hats and has in his uh, legendary career. Uh, one of the real uh, legends in, in indie ball, uh, uh, you know, scouting it. At one point he was an owner. Uh, I think he managed. He even wore a mascot uniform one time at indie ball. Uh, more recently, obviously, uh, Arizona Diamondbacks, a team that just went to the World Series. And, uh, you know, we, we're going to bring, you know, Chris in and we're going to talk a little bit about winter ball too. Chris is going to be going to Mexico in a little bit as well to do some scouting down there. Uh, but before we'll dive into all that, let's introduce Chris Carminucci. CC, welcome, my friend. Well, thank you so much, guys. I, I'm, I'm honored to be on and uh, I'm excited to try some blackout coffee because, you know, baseball and coffee and uh, obviously you guys in this podcast are some of my favorite things. So can't wait. Yeah, that's we- awesome. That is awesome. Always want those plugs, right, Dave? Absolutely. I mean, they, uh, you know, that we, I, initially I was insulted a little bit by it because I thought we were the stimulant that got people going, but now I, I appreciate the partnership with Blackout. <laughs> yeah, it's, a little bit of both is good, right? Oh, you love it. You can always use a little, hey, this espresso, I'm telling you what, it'll, it keeps me rolling all day long. Can't wait to try it. <laughs> and I tell you, someone with, with high energy is Chris Carminucci. And to be a scout at the major league level uh, requires a lot of energy. Uh, CC, obviously, congrats on the, on the run for the, uh, the Diamondbacks to get to the World Series. Fell short of the ultimate goal, but still uh, getting that National League pennant is no small treasure. Uh, so congrats to you guys on, on that. But I wanted you to kind of fill in the audience because we, we do have a very astute baseball audience uh, and just kind of, you know, people that want to get into the game, younger pl- people who are players, uh, and just obviously, you know, baseball fans who don't always know the inner workings and, and what kind of goes on. So just kind of take people through what, you know, as a fan of the sport, people are watching the, the playoffs and so forth. What's it like to be a scout when you've done all your evaluations, all you can do, and now the product has to go out there and, and play in the postseason for you? What was that kind of run personally for, like for you? Well, it, it's it's what we live for. I got to tell you, it's that, you know, you put the work in, you go out, you recommend the players that we hopefully can get. We get some of those players and then, you know, you see the team kind of come to fruition. Uh, but it's, quite honestly, I didn't have a whole lot of time to be able to sit back, watch and enjoy it because I was advancing all the teams we were or a lot of the teams we were playing in the in the playoffs. 
So, you know, I was constantly, you know, a step ahead, uh, mainly on the Rangers for a long time, getting ready for us to kind of meet. So it was one of those scenarios where, you know, I could sit back every once in a while and say, boy, this is great. We've built a good team uh, and we've got something special going on here, but I really didn't get a chance to enjoy it. Uh, and so I'm trying to sit back now and, uh, you know, as, as the season has come to an end and before I start going to winter ball, kind of seeing, you know, pros, cons, things I could improve on, uh, how, you know, what we need to really, you know, win the ultimate big ring uh, and not just get there. And, uh, you know, so really it's a time of reflection now. But I, I have to tell you, in my 15 years here with the Diamondbacks, it was my mo- it, it was the most exciting season I've ever been a part of by far. And uh, I look forward to hopefully getting back again soon. Yeah, and I think uh, clearly when something is is unexpected, obviously you could think that the team is heading in a good direction and such. But even even the best of teams to reach the World Series is is really the goal. And then if you win it, that's the the cherry on top of the goal. Uh, if, but to to do that, I guess when it I'm getting at is when it's more unexpected, probably makes it a little bit more rewarding. You know, as you you kind of saw this team kind of come of age. And, and then do what go on the run that they did. It, it does. It, it's exciting. You know, it definitely was unexpected, but I, I have to say I, I never try to get caught with my pants down, so to speak, when it comes to success. You know, I, I feel like in life you shouldn't be surprised by success if you put in the work, if you put in the effort. Um, with that being said, if you would have asked me at the beginning of this year if I would have expected to be in the World Series and you know lose, uh, I would have taken it. You know, but now we're sitting here going, man, we 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 could have won this thing. Uh, many people believe we should have won this thing, and you know now we got to get back and prove it. And uh, that's no uh, disrespect to the Rangers; they earned it, and uh, you know they certainly uh, deserve to put that big ring on their fingers. But at the same time, is all it does is make you more hungry. All it does is want to make you work harder. You know, there's that old saying that you have success and then you kind of let up a little bit. Well, I think we're a bunch of alphas here with the Diamondbacks and we're only going to put the pedal to the metal even more now and, you know, try to try to get this ultimate goal and uh, try to go multiple times and see what we can do. Oh, yeah. You know, that's the thing when when you look at and, you know, when we we discussed on, on this platform and many others have as well when the season started and you looked at the baseball rule changes and what they seem to try to want to stretch uh, or uh, stress, I should say, yeah. uh, you know, athleticism, uh, base running, bring the stolen base back in, you know, uh, a little bit more contact, put the ball in play. And you see the elements that, you know, even early on, I'm like this kind of the Diamondbacks are kind of built for this, meaning October baseball. And, and we saw that with the ability to run the bases, with the ability to, you know, move runners over. Uh, the pitching side of it takes care of itself. That's obvious. You got to pitch to win. But I'm talking about just kind of the strategic offensive side and the makeup and how you put your roster together and your daily lineups are together. You knew what the Corbin Carrolls can do in terms of their game changing speed and everything else he brings to the game. Uh, with Alec Thomas's defense and center and his speed. And we even saw him with some huge hits. And, you know, that type of player, uh, Geraldo Perdomo at shortstop, I think is a player really raised his profile. Obviously, Cattell Marte was, was you know, amazingly good, but he's a bit more of the more popular uh, veteran Diamondback players. But did you feel like the elements were there in the construction of this roster to be a team built for the style of baseball that the rules – and, you know, are actually enabling right now. You know, we immediately felt once these rules came out that it fed into what we do well. I, we also believe that it, it fed into our sustainability long term. Uh, obviously, what our minor league system looks like, what we have coming, what we already have in the big league. So it was really a, a perfect storm for us that you know we were able to do what we do best. You know, more of a you know run and gun kind of an offensive uh, you know output look at outlook for us, and you know. We were excited. We were excited going into the season. We were excited to get this thing rolling. We obviously had success early. Uh, and then, you know, we it was funny because we we were really rolling. And then, you know, once July hit, we kind of hit the skids a little bit, had some injuries. Um, but what I was most really impressed with was our ability for both Tory and our team to regroup. Uh, we made some good moves at the trade deadline. And then, you know, obviously – we, we didn't by any means, you know, jump into the playoffs. We kind of fell backwards into the playoffs, you know. But once we were there, we felt like we had the offense to compete. We had just enough pitching to be able to compete. 
And, you know, between, you know, our two big guns, um, uh, uh, you know, in the starting rotation, along with our our back end of the bullpen and the guys in between, we felt like we really had an opportunity to do something special. Uh, And, you know, once we got by the Brewers, it was kind of like, well, let's see what happens, you know, And, and Philly obviously was the albatross and and things that we were uh, you know, we were looking forward to them going, boy, this is going to be a tough team. And then you know, when we finally beat them, it kind of was like, well, hey, we, we can really do something here. So, you know, a lot of things fell into place, but certainly roster construction and the new rules played a huge part in it. Yeah. Dave, what are your observations of what you saw with, with Arizona and the playoffs in general? Well, I, I love the way they adapted the speed game, but I think one of your understated stars who very few people knew about before the playoffs is your first baseman, Christian Walker. T- talk to him a little bit. Uh, the, the guy catches the ball, he hits the ball. <laughs> he, he does the things like that. People don't look at it as, well, it's not sexy, but he's one of the most productive first baseman in Major League Baseball. You know, he's a living example that big leaguers still can improve and still do improve. You know, he willed himself to becoming a better defender, uh, to growing into even more power and improving his hit tool. So, you know, he's a guy, I mean, we, we claimed him off waivers, for God's sakes. I mean, you know, he's a guy that, you know, is really a, a focal point of our offense right now and a guy that made himself better as time went on. And, you know, well, I think even if he was on this program, he'd say he would have loved to do even more in the World Series. He did a heck of a lot to get us there and a heck of a lot to be able to make make us to be relevant. And uh, just I, I can't say enough good things about his work ethic, about the human being in general and about the player he's become. Yeah. What about the other side of the diamond there, the other corner? Yeah, you know, I, I have to say this is that, you know, we, we mixed and matched quite a bit. OK. And, you know, while we were able to I think we made the most out of what we had, you know, I, and, and I'll say that, you know, sometimes our offense. Uh, well, let me put it this way. Perdomo. OK. He really, really came along. OK. And he did a lot for us that we weren't expecting. And he grew into, and and by the way, we look back on this whole series as, and the whole playoff run as what a great opportunity it was to be able to get these young guys the opportunity to be able to, uh, you know, play under the big stage or on the big stage. And we were able to do that with them. And, you know, they they got a Perdomo in general. You look at Corbin, you look at Alec, all these guys. They were able to get a lot of time in the spotlight that down the road will even help them more to become, you know, even better, not only major leaguers, but major leaguers that can win titles and, you know, become premier players. So I'm, I'm proud of all these guys. I'm proud of the experience they had. I'm proud of the work ethic they put in. I'm proud of the uh, the, the way they, they treated each other and they came together uh, as time went on. Because, you know, that's the thing people don't realize. You know, when you go through a July lull like we do, players can start turning on each other. Players could start, you know, turn on their manager. These guys didn't do that. They just continued to fight harder. They continued to play harder, and they fought through it. And they, you know, the eventual outcome was good, you know. So we're we're very proud of those things. Yeah, and you know, CC, what what stood out to me, and as someone who saw probably over a hundred Diamondback games this year, uh, people ask, "How do I see five games a night?" Well, I got the streaming service, so I'm usually watching. The Marlins and the Rays, one on TV and one on my phone, because I have the the service. And then on the West Coast, I watch Arizona. If there's a day game, I usually watch catch a bit of that, and then I'll watch the Diamondbacks at nine thirty Eastern time, or if the game is good, all the way through. Or I'll switch over to the Dodgers and Padres, or you know, you know, some of the teams out west, and usually go to bed about two o'clock in the yeah. baseball season, seeing anywhere from four to five games. But you know, seeing what what Gabriel Marino meant, and obviously I knew going into the offseason last year at this time, catcher was a big position for Arizona. And you probably got you got a gold glove winner and probably got the premier young catcher in the sport in the trade uh, with, with Toronto for Dalton Varsha. Hard to believe he's the age he is at. He's so far ahead of what we anticipated. I mean, we knew he was going to be good. Uh, we knew he was going to be a force to be reckoned with, but we didn't realize it was going to happen this quickly. And he was going to take the leadership role that he has. He was going to take charge of the pitching staff. He was going to be, you know, middle of the lineup impact bat for us. Uh, so all those things came to fruition for him. And again, a lot of hard work, 
a lot of personality traits that feed into the fact that he's a natural born leader and somebody that wants to be on the big stage. And, you know, we, you look at him and, you know, along with the rest of the our cast of characters here. And that's why we continue to say, hey, the future's bright. You know, there's a lot of really, really great things that we have to look forward to here. We got to add some pieces. Uh, we know that we know where we're short. Uh, but we also, you know, hopefully we'll have the finances to be able to do so and the uh, ability to go out and test free agency and get some uh, other pieces that put us over the top. Yeah. One thing that was interesting with, with Marino specifically, and you, you noted the lull in, in July, um, and then in the playoffs date, they brought the stat up. The D-backs were like 20 games over 500 with him in the lineup. It's unbelievable. I mean, it, it just that, that stat alone just shows you how important it is, not only for him to help us, you know, defensively, but offensively. And, you know, just his, his over, like I keep saying, his leadership ability, I think, put him over the top. I think those were the things that really, uh, you know, he's got a calming way about him for such a young kid behind the plate. When he goes out to talk to the pitchers, he's not all over the place. He's direct. He keeps everybody calm. He's like another coach on the field. And to have that in a 23-year-old kid, Man, I tell you, that that is just more than we even banked on, and we're so thankful to have him. Yeah, and, and he's got that clutch fa- factor at the plate. It does what I know what Dave D'Agostino likes. He could take that ball to right field and, and get you that hit, not trying to do too much, and then he could turn and give you a big home run as well. Yeah, he uses the entire field. You know, he, he looks to make contact in the gaps, and, you know, he's that guy that, you know, t- kind of takes what you give him and does the best what he can with it. And, you know, we, we need to continue that, you know, as a kind of a mantra with our offensive players here. They need to, you know, we, we, we don't need players that are, you know, sitting and spinning anymore more and you know trying to lift and launch all the time we need guys that are trying to put the ball in play with regularity use the entire field and use that speed that we have and that contact ability that we had to continue to produce wins and he falls right into that category and I think you know we're, yeah. we're lucky to have Moreno for many years to come yeah and, and you know it's funny because obviously baseball and pretty much all the pro sports it's a copycat league and you know now it'd be interesting to see and, and you're already hearing some talk even some of the big teams I think I saw a quote from a from the Yankees out of the GM meetings about, you know, th- not necessarily needing a $300 million payroll. Uh, you definitely heard them talking about the Yankees uh, not having the ability to bunt the baseball, which is something we saw Arizona yeah. do numerous. I know it drives some of the ultra analytics people crazy. You can just follow on, on Twitter, how their heads explode. If they hear about a hit and run or hit the other way or a bunt and, you know, they, it just, it, it drives them nuts, but it's, it's kind of what you see in how the industry is looking at the ability to manufacture a run when the home run isn't there. And I think we saw in the Philly series where Philly jumped out to a two-game lead and the first pitch of the playoffs was the home run by Schwarber of Gallant. And it looked like the Phillies were, you know, teeing it up. And, you know, I think I think Harper also homer in the first inning of game one. And then you're able to take care of the Phillies playing, you know, that kind of speed in play, occasional home run you know, big inning type of mentality or chip away. You know, it's kind of funny because when I was at the winter meetings last year, I had several executives from other teams basically call us morons for, for how we were building our team. So I can't wait to go back to the winter meetings this year and run into those uh, those geniuses out there who said, hey, this isn't going to work. You got to have more power. Uh, you know, you got to produce more with the three-run home run and all this stuff, which is baloney, okay? Uh, it, it, it's never about how many home runs you hit. It's how, about how an offense flows. Okay, and to keep that steam engine moving. And that was kind of our our deal here. We were looking to have guys that kept things going. We'd rather have the doubles, uh, the walks, the, you know, the small ball being played than wait around for the three run home run that a lot of times doesn't even come. So I can't wait to see those guys that are now saying, hey, you know, that's a great way to build your team because they were all against it when I talked to them. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it, it'll, it'll be good. And don't, by the way, don't think I forget. OK, I don't forget those things. I remember. No, that, no, I wouldn't. I would be disappointed if you did. Yeah, yeah, you it, know, I, pettiness and, and payback is always a very much a, some characteristics I look for in oh, and, and, a and, winning player. <laughs> and in this game, for sure, you've got to have a long memory when it comes to all these geniuses out there, you know, because it, it ebbs and it flows and it changes year to year. But I, I do think we're going to have some copycat teams that, uh, you know, do what we have done. Um, and, you know, look at it like, you know, the Rays. The Rays have done such a good job over the years and they've been copied a lot. They should be, you know, teams like that. So hopefully we have sustained success and other teams want to copy us. Uh, you know, we, we, we take a lot of uh, pride and humility and hopefully that that becoming uh something that people want to try to do more of and you know be more of a run and gun small ball kind of a team 
I know Dave likes this conversation. Jump in, Dave. Oh, I love it. I think it's uh, you guys have created a model, in my opinion. One, if I don't know if it was the lowest payroll or pretty close to the bottom, and uh, to create the type of team you had, you must have some good scouts in that organization. That's all I got to say. <laughs> scouts, player, scouts, and player development. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give you guys a pump there. Well, I appreciate uh, it. I appreciate it. we we do, and I have to tell you, I think one thing that we've done very well is we don't try to make players something they aren't. We try to look at what we have and how do we get the best out of what we have. I think a lot of mistakes that, you know, maybe teams have made and even we've made in the past is we try to make a player into a cookie cutter kind of a player. you got to take what they are, build on their strengths and try to, you know, implement that within our lineup or within our rotation and make them as successful as possible. And I think that's something we're going to keep doing as we move forward. Oh, before you, I want to jump in before and Dave ask you follow up because this is something that I think the Marlins now, obviously, they got a new GM, uh, president of baseball ops, and um, and Peter Bendix, who comes comes over from the Rays, a very analytically uh, driven Peter's background. But I think when the Marlins signed Avisael Garcia a couple of years ago, and I'm not putting words in anybody in the panel here's uh, mouth. This is me speaking. They brought Garcia in, and I was for that signing. I'm like, he was one of, I put my little checklist, he should be market, targets that Marlon should go for, and they signed Garcia. But they signed it for like $54, 55000000 million, and I'm like, I wouldn't have done that. So when, when you're doing that, you're basically saying, now you're my three-hole hitter because yep. you're paying him as such an expect, expectation. When, yes, okay, he had some numbers in Milwaukee, and more hitter-friendly than Miami, but that's the case in point is, you know, you sign a player, to me, Garcia is a good seven-hole hitter on a, on a winning team, you know. And and if you're looking to go to the postseason with him hitting third or fourth, I, I, that wasn't exactly the the target. And so I think to to what Chris Carmenucci noted, not trying to make someone something they're not. And I think that's a trap these teams fall in. They feel they have to get a free agent, so they'll overpay, and that's fine. So you have to. That's the nature of free agency, anyway. But once you overpay, you kind of create that expectation at that player is now expected to be this part of your your cog in your in your team. So I just you know just want to throw that in there. Dave, follow up. Oh and I I uh was extremely impressed with, with Corbin Carroll as probably most of the country was. I had no idea how good he was. When you talk about evaluating players and looking at what they can become and not forcing them into a you know something you think they should be, what's the talk around or what's your opinion on what what how good can he be? What can he become? Who's who's his comp? I mean, I think he's a perennial all-star. You know, I I don't necessarily think he has a comp. Uh, You know, I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised if maybe they're Yelich-type numbers in the long run, you know, uh, when Yelich was was having his big years, because I think the power is coming. I think the speed is there. I think the defense is there. Uh, Probably the one knock you have on him is he doesn't have a, a very good arm in the outfield, but everything else is there, okay? But the thing that doesn't get talked about enough with him is this kid is a quiet killer. Okay, he's not a flashy guy. He's not a guy that say, look at me. I'm, you know, patting myself on the back every minute. I'm not, you know, doesn't take me 72 hours to run around the bases after a home run. I'm going to get my job done. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to do things that help us win. I don't care if I have to bunt. I don't care if I have to steal. I'll run into a wall. I'll hit a home run when I need. And and by the way, he's going to hit over 300. I mean, there's, there's no doubt in my mind about that, too. So, you know, I mean, he's really a guy that you know, this, the, I, I don't see a, an easy comp for him because I think he's better than any of the comps that I could come up with right now. And, you know, obviously, you know, rookie of the year, in my opinion, and, and everybody else's too, I think. And just a guy that is going to have perennial all-star seasons after all-star seasons. And again, the biggest thing to me is the quiet killer he is. He's a winner, okay? He goes out there and he does his job and it's not about him, it's about us. And he's always putting his teammates ahead of him. Listen to him talk. I mean, all he talks about is what he can do to help everybody else, what he can do to help this team win. It's not, you know, again, it's not pats on the back for himself. It's praise for his teammates. And, you know, a lot of a lot of those things are, are really resonating with the rest of our ball club. And he's becoming a leader at such a young age. So, you know, you put him and Moreno in that category of leaders. And, you know, hopefully for many years to come, we have these guys that can, uh, you know, that could kind of we can put people around them and they mold them into the kind of players we want. Yeah, I got a great core, and uh, I agree with you. He he came off very well talent-wise. He came off very well personality-wise. And, I, I mean, the physical thing that I could not believe, obviously he puts the bat on the ball and the strikeouts are huge nowadays, but that sucker can fly. He can run. 
He sure can. And he gets to top speed in a hurry. That's the thing that, you know, I, I think a lot of guys, they, they get there, you know, to top speed, but it takes him a few steps. He's right out of the gate at top speed. And, man, it is fun to watch. It's fun to watch in the outfield. It's fun to watch, you know, home to first. When he hits a triple, it's, there's nothing prettier. Uh, and there's going to be some in, inside the park home runs for him to come too. So just just a fun player to watch. Our fans are going to have a treat for many years to come. I'm glad we got him locked up for a number of years, thank God. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Joe, go ahead. Thanks, yeah, Joe. A, a comp I have, CC and Dave, I, I got, you know, and obviously he, he's from Seattle. Uh, he's Ichiro-like with 30 homers, yeah. 25 to 30 homers. Yeah. You know, he's that – oh, he doesn't have Ichiro's arm, but – his is even though the way he hits the ball a bit, um, you know, kind of reminds me a little bit his game. He seems like he patterns himself a little bit out of Ichiro, and I know Ichiro could have hit for much more power, but chose to have his approach. And I, I did cover it, the tail end of Ichiro's career. Um, I think that that that's kind of a comp there with, uh, you know, if I had to give a little comp on. I think we'd take that, Joe. I think we would take that uh, that comp. Yes. <laughs> For yeah. sure, for sure. Yeah. Doesn't have the arm, has the speed, uh, and he can because he's a 25-30 homer guy. And that's the thing. When you look at sustainability, CC, uh, you could sit around. He was uh, the first rookie ever or whatever, the next number of years or whatever, uh, 25 homers, 50 steals. That That's pretty sustainable for him. That isn't like, to me, uh, oh, my God, he everything has to go right for that. That seems to be what he can be if he stays healthy. It should be right in line with what he he can be and what he should do. I don't think there's anything crazier outside the box saying that. You know, it just it's really going to be: can we keep him healthy? Uh, can we not run him into the ground? Uh, you know, physically every year we've got to give him some time off here and there. He's going to need that. Uh, but at the same time, is that the the sky is the limit with him? And there's going to be a, a lot of fun nights. I, I actually wish I got to watch our team play more. Uh, you know, that's one of the things about either advancing or, you know, being out scouting is you don't get to watch your own team play enough. Uh, but when I pull up video or, you know, recaps of games, he's the first guy I go to. First guy I want to see what he did. Uh, and I have to say Alec Thomas is becoming that as well, too. Moreno's that as well uh, on top of it. But, you know, there's so many young players that I pull up that I just want to see what they did that night because it seems like they're constantly growing, constantly improving, and constantly doing something exciting. Uh, see, it seems like it – you know, obviously the basics of baseball being strong up the middle is was pretty much I know when the when Jeter came in with the Marlins, that was it didn't work, but he that was a, a goal of the of the Marlins. But you know, you you're strong at catcher. You got Cattell at second, you got Perdomo at short, you got Alec or or Corbin in center, depending on righty lefty. Uh you that seems to way it be the way you're built. Is you think is that just more a function of how your personnel fell in line or, you know, or do you think that still should be a blueprint, you know, when you're, when you're putting a franchise and a roster together? Well, well uh, I'll go back to what I said earlier about some of the really smart executives saying you can't win like that. They're the same guys that would say that, you know, uh, being strong up the middle doesn't matter. Okay. But at the same time as we went after being strong up the middle, we, we believe in that. Okay. So that was definitely by design to answer your question. We wanted to be strong up the middle. We wanted to have our best athletes in the middle. And, you know, I think that, you know, we look to have a, a great athletes all around the field, but most vitally up the middle. And I think we've done that. And that's by design. And blatantly it worked. Um, you know, we've got to have some pieces around them now to be able to continue this. But, you know, I, it, it definitely was by design and it definitely worked. Well, you know, I mean, Texas, I mean, Himes really strong. Simeon and Seeger are all-stars and, and Tavares in center can run anything down as well. So I think, you know, the, the Rangers are built that way. I mean, obviously they're kind of a built of, you know, spending money, veterans and Seeger, Simeon and so forth. And and then their homegrown guys that they had or, or guys they acquired via trades using their, you know, their resources, uh, their, their pieces. To, and so I think – the two teams in the World Series are kind of a model of that up the middle still kind of works. Yeah, they, they definitely were strong up the middle. They were strong everywhere offensively and, yeah. and, and defensively. Yeah. It was, you know, they, they weren't always pretty or technically sound defensively, but they made all the plays. <clears throat> they certainly played hard, okay? And they they were clutch, okay? And let's face it, you know, we, we went into the World Series saying, you know, that 
um, uh, the guys that couldn't hurt us, we couldn't let Garver hurt us, we couldn't, uh, or excuse me, we couldn't let Carter hurt us, we couldn't let Garcia hurt us, we couldn't let Seeger hurt us. Well, they all hurt us, you know, and it's hard to keep <laughs> those guys, you know, from hurting you. You know, you've really got to make perfect pitches and all that. And then you had Haim in there and, you know, Low, Low who did well and Jung and all that stuff. I mean, they really have a well-rounded uh, offensive club, uh, a good defensive club. You know, their, their pitching was something that we kind of thought we could um, expose a little bit, and, and they, they, they rose to the challenge. So just got to get hats off to those guys for sure. Yeah, no doubt. Dave? Oh, no, I had a couple little show notes I typed in, that, uh, and I know Chris won't say this, so I'll say it for Texas, I, I love the way they play as well. I think, you know, hats off to them too. They played – it was two really well-played games, and the teams played the game the right way. But the difference was kind of interesting. The the uh, the salaries, lowest payroll in baseball, and they they paid over a billion dollars for that talent. I mean, they they went out and bought some good talent. Some of it couldn't pitch uh, in there, but uh, two two different philosophies. I'm hoping people mimic what Arizona's doing. Tanner came up with a good comp for Corbin Carroll. He thought Johnny Damon in his prime. Oh, I like not that. a super yeah, I like that. Lead guy stole bases, put the ball in play. Um, with a, with a better haircut, though. Carol's got better hair. <laughs> I like that a lot. I like that a lot. But no, but back to the Rangers. No, I, I, I agree. They, they they certainly spent the money and were able to do some of the things that, you know, we couldn't. But, um, you know, I, I have to say, again, hats off to them. I mean, they, they played hard the entire time. It wasn't like there were a bunch of guys on the other th- team that were, you know, I guys and me guys and, you know, just selfish players. No, they, they played as a team. Bochi. We have to talk about him for a minute because what an outstanding manager. Um, you know, I go way back um, through Kevin Towers with Boach. So, um, you know, the late, great Kevin Towers had introduced me to Boach a long time ago. And, you know, I, I don't think there there can be a better manager in baseball than him. He's calm. He's cool. He keeps it you know, even keel all the time. And he gets the most out of his players. And, you know, there were a lot of times that I was watching that team, whether it was against Houston or prior, where you thought they could go in the wrong direction. And he steered that ship perfectly. He made sure that they didn't lose their focus and he stayed on top of things. So he deserves a lot of the credit. Yeah, very, very true. Um, yeah, to speak to that, you know, just uh, the, the it gets to the old school manager, the, the new age manager, uh, obviously connecting with your players to bring out the, the best of them because Skip Schumacher here in Miami did a, a remarkable job, um, you know, in his first year and he had the ability to kind of change the culture in the clubhouse. What's kind of your take on the older managers, the younger managers? So you see, how do you, what do you kind of characteristics you look for in a manager? You know, I, I generally don't care about age. Um, what I do care about is their ability to actually sit down and have a conversation and identify with their players. Okay. A lot of times the, the quote unquote new wave managers, they, they're more corporate. They more, you know, uh, well, they'll send a text or they'll send an email to their players. I like whether it's an older manager or a newer school manager, whatever, when they sit down and they have face to face conversations with their players, they get to know them. They get to know what makes them tick. They get to know who they are. And, you know, Tori does that so well with our guys. And I think he deserves so much credit for the year we've had. Did a great job. Coach, obviously, like I said, did a great job. But, you know, those two are, are similar in a lot of ways in that they get to know their players. They get to know who they have. They get to know that when they ask a player to do something, that the player understands why they're asking him, them to do this thing, whether it be bunt or hit and run or whatever. And, you know, both teams that, that played each other in the World Series, they're both giving the credit to the guys on either side of them. They're not taking the credit on themselves. And I think that comes from the manager. I think there's a, um, you know, there's a selfishness that happens a lot of times in baseball sometimes where the manager wants to be the focal point. Uh, you know, I managed for a long time. The best clubs I ever had were the ones I hardly even had to manage much. They did it themselves. They policed each other in the clubhouse. They played the game right where, you know, good results happen because of their effort and intensity. And, you know, those are the things that, uh, that uh, whether you're old school or new school, you still got to identify with your players, get to know them. And, put, and build a roster that's built for success, okay? And, and what I mean by that, most importantly, is you're asking them to do things that they are capable of doing, but also they understand why they're doing them. We're doing this for the betterment of the team, and this is what this is my final outcome that I'm hoping for. And, and the manager has to instill that in each player for them to be successful. And I think both guys in the World Series did a great job of that. Dave. 
No, I, I, I like both as well. And I, I hope, again, you saw two managers have, for the most part, control of their lineups. Uh, you know, we did see that that game three. I don't think a lot of people were happy with the, the bullpen game, but I like how Tori Lovello handled that. He, uh, he made some comments uh, in the media where he supported the decisions made in the back room, but he also kind of let people subtly know that it was hard for him to do. And I, I like that about him. He's very honest, uh, even right down to his emotions at the end of the game. Is that him normally? That is him normally. And I, and I have to say, I think that's one of his best characteristics. And, you know, no, no shock. He's an Italian brother uh, that uh, you know, he shows his emotions and he's uh, Amen. He, Amen. And, and you know what? He's got one of those uh, personalities where he's not afraid to shed a tear in front of his players. He's not afraid to show his emotions. He's not afraid to put his his uh, opinions on the line. And, and when he's wrong, he says it, you know, and I mean, God, we're all wrong a lot. You know, things happen. Players make mistakes. People make mistakes. We've got to be open and willing to accept people for that. And Tori's human. I think that's the most important thing. And by the way, while we're talking about managers, I think that's the most important trait uh, of whether a new school or an old school manager can have or a coach or a scout is that, you know, that they have the ability to be human. They have the ability to say, you know what, I'm going to make a mistake uh, when, it, when I'm right. It's about us. Uh, when I'm wrong, it could be about me and I'll take the blame for it. And Tori certainly, you know, it puts a lot on his shoulders and I give him credit for that. Is it harder now? And that's a great point you make about being human in today's world in general, but specifically about baseball. So much is driven by numbers. So much is driven by technology. So much of that personal responsibility is almost removed because of, you know, the layers of, of tech and whatnot. Um, is, is it harder and harder to find? And we'll talk specifically about players, I guess, because you, you're out there scouting. How hard is that to determine now that makeup quality of a player because of all the layers of numbers and technology? You know, it, it's hard in general for a young player to, you know, uh, to be mature, to, to say I'm wrong, to put things on themselves. But, you know, to be honest with you, I'm seeing more and more players now, even at the younger level than I did, say, a couple years ago, taking more responsible responsibility for themselves because I think the organizations are preaching that more, that this is a human game. This isn't uh, about numbers necessarily, although those numbers can be important, okay? I'm not a, a hater of numbers or analytics. I'm a hater of people that explain the analytics and the numbers in a way that is contradictory or in a way that is pompous, okay? And I, th that's what drives me crazy. I want all the information I can get. I think players want all the information they can get. But it's important for these players now to understand that even with the numbers and even with all the preparation, you're still going to fail. It's a game of failure, and that's okay. We're allowed to fail. We're allowed to get back up off the mat and fight again another day. And, you know, I think that's the thing we have to instill in our young players is that, you know what, game of failure, go out, make your mistakes. Tomorrow's a new day. You know, when we succeed, we put that behind us. When we, when we have a bad day, we put that behind us. And tomorrow's a new day. Go out there and prove yourself again. And I think I'm seeing more and more players being able to do that. I'm seeing more and more young managers being able to do that. And I think that's why it's so vital that we make sure we have the Bochies of the world, um, the Lavellos of the world out there, so they can instill in the next line of coaches uh, and managers that ability to be human. And I think that's something that they're – hats off to them because they're doing it so well and paying it forward so well. I, I agree. Can we can we talk about Mexico, John? I'm anxious to hear yeah, about what. Let me, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll do. That. I just wanted to ask CC one question on uh, something because you got you 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 brought it up in this uh, that question, Dave. Uh, but yeah, we'll we'll get on on the international in a second. But I think people don't necessarily realize CC that scouts look at analytics like they. I think there's a perception that you're either a scout or you're an analytics, or or teams are scout driven or analytics driven. And they, they don't realize that the scouts have the a access to the a, a lot of the analytics too. Now you're physically at the ball games and looking at the players and watching more or, or breaking things down. You're looking at the, the techniques of the players, but just kind of explain that to people. How it doesn't necessarily, you know, write your summary or put your grades there, but it kind of can give you direction too. Explain that, Cece. So I, you know, I always get on people that say I don't like analytics or, or analytics aren't anything I ever look at. And I, my, my argument to that is why do you not want to have information? Why do you not want to have another tool in your belt? Okay. Now, anything when it goes one way or the other isn't good in my opinion. I, so what I do is when I go in and I see a player, okay, I don't look at any analytics up front. Okay. I don't look at anything. I don't look at their stats. I don't look at the round they've been in. I don't look at, you know, what they did last year. I purposefully go in blind, 
come up with an evaluation. And then in, before I write me, my report, I look at the analytics to see if things are lining up. If maybe there's something I am not or I'm missing or there's some more to the story that maybe the player changed. Um, which, by the way, I have to say this is, you know, Rob Leary has this great saying, uh, you know, in our scouting department. He says, you know, players are allowed to change. Players are allowed to get better. And, you know, sometimes the analytics pay, uh, paint a very good picture of how a player is improving, even better than, say, just regular scouting can. OK, and what I mean by that is sometimes you'll go and you'll see a player that you've already seen and you're like, well, he's the same guy as before. And then you'll go back and you'll look at the analytics and you'll say, oh, well, wait a minute. He's, he's cut down on his swing and miss. He's cut down on his strikeouts because, uh, you know, we're only seeing a five to seven game window of a player. So, you know, the, the analytics do a good job of painting the big picture. OK, um, but does one thing make a player? No, I like information. I take that information and I try to come up with the best hypothesis of what that player is. And so scouts do, myself included, do look at stats. Now, at the end of the day, if I if it comes down to me making a call on a player, I'm going to go with my gut. I'm going to go with my 20 years of doing this uh, over the stats and over the analytics. But at the same time, I will definitely use those stats and analytics to come up with uh, who that player is. And nine times out of 10, it matches, just so you know. Nine times out of 10, I'll see a player. I'll come up with who he is. I'll look at the analytics, and they paint the same picture that I thought he was. And, you know, I feel good when that is, when that happens, and I'm able to, you know, write that down and press send and put in my report and feel good about it. It's the the 1% out there that, or the one time out there that it doesn't, that really drives me crazy. Then I have to dig in more, but it's, it's all good. Information is good. It's important to have, you just can't get too hung up on it. Yeah. I thought that great answer. And I thought that was important to, to kind of shed with our audience. Cause I do think, especially among younger fans who let, let's face it, I, if, they rely a lot on fan graphs or, or Statcast, and me, you know, formerly with MLB, Statcast was a big part of what I was doing the last few years at, at the company. But that these that people do look, and I'm the same way, you know. And not that I'm a, a scout or anything, but I've seen a lot, and you know, my eyes will tell me. And I've had arguments with with people in the analytics department, and I've been right on players that they were wrong on, and vice versa. So it's it's you know, it's just kind of the fun part. Uh, in the breaking down of players. But yeah, let's shift gears. Now, obviously, uh, you know, the next stage, we're in the off season and, uh, and winter balls coming along and, and you go down to Mexico every year, just kind of fill some people in on what, what's that like and, and how much fun you have going down there and seeing international baseball. Yeah. You know, it, it's kind of funny, you know, you go from a, a stadium of, you know, 50,000 people for the world series and then, you know, I'll head down to Mazalan, uh, you know, next week or the week after, and, you know, I'll be in a different kind of a, a stadium and, uh, you know, seeing different level of players, obviously, and all that stuff. But, you know, Mexico has always been a tremendously fertile place for players, um, particularly in those, you know, those triple A guys that you know are up and down types that are so vital for us. Uh, you know, we do have some roster spots to fill. We do have some needs to fill. So, you know, I'll head down and, uh, you know, try to see who what free agents are out there. Uh, what players are playing down there that are still the property of other teams that maybe we could trade for. Um, it's a great atmosphere down there. They play hard. Um, you know, and we talked about it earlier with the analytics is, you know, Mexico's kind of like that old school scout, scouting, you know, stomping ground. You know, there's not a lot of analytics available. There's not a lot of stats available, you know, other than the regular stats. Um, so, you know, you really go down there and it's like, it's, it's a way to hone your eye. It's a way to be able to, you know, kind of do old school, quote unquote, scouting. And, you know, get nitty gritty, get to learn the players, get to get the information on their background, on their makeup, um, because, you know, th there are some secrets down there that, you know, you've got to do your due diligence on players. Sometimes players have had a rough go of it here and they go down there and they, you know, try to you know reinvent themselves. So you want to go down there and try to make good decisions, try to find good players that make you better. And, you know, it's always about improving on what we have. And you know, we've got some places to improve in double A AA and triple A and you know, hopefully we could find a few good up and down guys or, you know, maybe a David Peralta thrown in there or something like that. So it's a, it's, it's a lot of fun to go down there. And it's just, it's a great atmosphere too, which I really enjoy. How many, how many uh, players uh, are there? Obviously we know about the Dominican winter ball, Venezuela, Puerto Rico. Uh, you know, how, how many players are in, in that league? There's 10 teams and roughly, you know, 25 players per roster. So it's a, it's a really, uh, you know, and, and let me say this. A lot of those players are, are players that are indigenous to Mexico. And, you know, so they're, they're uh, Mexican players that have played in that league for a long time. You know, we know who they are. 
There are guys that can easily jump into an organization and help us. Uh, yes, we do key on those guys, but we also key on the guys that are going over there on loan from other major league teams. Uh, you know, that are, you know, trying to get at bats or trying to get innings that, you know, maybe are coming off an injury uh, in the States and they didn't pitch much uh, this year or didn't play much this year and they go down there and then we can really see them healthy. So you know, sometimes there you can really steal a player down there and really come up with a player that, you know, ha- has improved or gotten healthy and now you can, you know, plug them into your system and you've got something. Yeah, I mean, they did real Mexico did really well in the World Baseball Classic. I just wonder how much of a boon that'll be in, in the growth of, Baseball, the continued growth of baseball, obviously a lot of great players from Mexico. Yeah, no no doubt. And let, let me say this is, you know, Mexico's major league team is the Diamondbacks, you know, because, you know, we're, we're right here. We're right on the border. And, you know, people down there love to follow the Diamondbacks. So, you know, the fact that we did well and when we go scout it, you know, these guys want to sign with us. Uh, you know, their parents uh, and, and, and they grew up, you know, rooting for us. You know, so it's really a matter of us having a, an upper hand, an upper leg down there to be able to, uh, you know, sign a player that wants to play for us. So it, it's 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 almost like signing, a, if you're the Yankees, signing a player that's from the Bronx. You know, uh, it's 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 very similar for us. They want to sign with us. So it's a lot of fun to go down there. And especially after this year, they're going to be a lot of players that want to come to us. Yeah, I got to get uh, Jorge Cantu is when I always enjoy covering him. And I know he played a long time in Mexico. I got to get him on the podcast at some point. I got to run him down. A legend. He would be great. Him. Yes. Yes. Yeah. If, he, if he's down there and you see him, tell him I, I'm going to reach out to him. I will connect <laughs> you for sure if I see him for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Dave, you have anything on this topic? Yeah. And selfishly, sorry, Joe, I shifted to Mexico. I've been waiting to talk to Chris <laughs> about that. I, I love the international scouting. Uh, Chris, what would have been some success stories, whether it was with the Diamondbacks or with any other club where guys have been plucked out of this winter league in Mexico who maybe weren't prominent names with the major league club at the time or maybe not with anybody? Oh, my gosh. You know what? I'm trying to think. There hasn't been many over the last couple of years. It's, and they've just kind of changed the rules to be able to add more imports down there. Um, but I, I mean, listen, you, you can, you can look at, you can go back as far as like Fernando Valenzuela, okay, who, you know, went back and forth between that league. Okay. And the major leagues, uh, you know, guys like that. Um, I'd have to look at my list to see who have really been the successful guys that have jumped up. I don't have anything off the top of my head, but at the same Vinny time, Castillo, as, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's, that's a good one. Yeah. No, that's, that's a very good one. Yeah. Because he was plucked out of there and then ended up hitting uh, what 30 something home runs uh, for Colorado. Right. Yeah. Oh, Vinny Castillo. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. yeah. What, what, like, what's the, you know, people talk about Carousel, the land of the shortstop. Is Mexico, are they known for developing any particular position type of player? I, I wouldn't say any particular position, but I will tell you, as far as pitching goes, their pitchers certainly tend to have really good breaking balls. They spin the ball really, really well. And, you know, that's kind of a forgotten art here in the States because everybody's trying to throw 105 miles an hour, you know. So they, they, will, they will spin their breaking balls. They will use more of a 12-6 curveball than any other league. And, you know, with the changing of eye levels, that stuff works. And, you know, we, we can really, really, you know, use that within our system as well as, you know, because everybody's looking for kind of the similar thing. They're looking for something that's different than what they have. So I think at the end of the day, when they, when, if we could find somebody that's different than what we have, complements everybody else around them, it helps. Can, can you share what's different or, or what, what you're looking for? Or is that? Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I, can, I can tell you this right now. I mean, we, you know, we're looking for, you know, starting pitching, bullpen help, um, right-handed hitting, um, you know, outfield preferably at this point, you know, uh, left fielder with some power, uh, you know, things like that, backup catcher. Um, you know, so, you know, we're, the way we approach everything is how can we get, can we get better? Who can we sign that's better than what we have and, and has upside for the future? And, you know, I, I'll say this is that, even the player that's slightly better than what we have is important because we want to keep making that, you know, steady progress forward. We don't want to stay status quo. We want to keep trying to improve. So, you know, again, outfielder, backup catcher, uh, relievers, uh, starting pitching, uh, anything we can do to continue to improve ourselves, we're going to do. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. CC, why do you think they throw better breaking balls there? Is Like you say, we, we're – hunting velocity here but is it just uh our pitchers throw breaking balls at a later age or that's or, it or, that's or, it you we, just hit on it i i think down there they're spinning curveballs at you know seven eight nine ten years old okay there isn't that you know yeah that's uh, highly recommended well you know and, and again I, I i do think the i mean i'm probably going to get backlash on this but i do think the jury's out a little bit on you know how bad it is to spin a breaking ball i think it's how you spin the breaking ball 
I think, you know, there, there's some literature out there and I've spoken at a few clinics about this is, you know, the more you hawk your wrist when you're spinning a breaking ball, the more stress it has on your elbow. Um, you know, there's several different kinds of curveballs that, uh, you know, they kind of throw more of a football curveball there at a young age where they kind of wrap their whole hand around it uh, and they don't manipulate their wrist as much uh, at a young age. So they, they just get that feeling of being able to spin a ball at an earlier age than we do right now. And I think it's helped them to be able to utilize that when they get older. Dave, do you see much spinning of the ball in your kids? Uh, um, at the age right now, you know, the, and we talk about this on some of our other shows, Jim Cott, well, Will George, that generation of pitcher, uh, Mark Wiley will speak volumes about it. Uh, that generation of pitcher, the, the curveball was in. And now, um, you know, the curveball and the changeup, they talk about a lot as a lost art yep. uh, with pitchers. And that they're not, I guess the biggest issue they have right now is that the, the kids are not spending enough time. Um, and kids are talking about uh, youth all the way up to the young professionals. They're not spending enough time on their craft, meaning that, the time on the mound is so regimented, it's so scripted, it's so uh, cookie cutter that they don't have that that bullpen day. Or they, they, how many pitches you throwing? I don't really know. I'm just working on the feel of my curveball today. I'm working on, you know, I may throw ten, I may throw forty. Um, that's that's not happening now. Jim Palmer, we had on the show last week, he spoke about the same thing, and um, I think that's more of it. But we don't see a lot of curveballs. Um, we see a lot of, um, I, I joke, we, we see a lot of frisbees at this level where they're, uh, they think they're throwing a curveball, but it's just not taught well enough, I don't think, at the young ages here. Well, and everybody wants to say they're throwing a sweeper now because, you know, that's the new thing. You know, I, he throws a sweeper, you know, because uh, you know, everybody's trying to reinvent the wheel right now. So, you know, but, but they've been throwing sweepers for years, okay? Uh, you know, they've been throwing slurs for years. Uh, you know, it, it's really just a matter of how you manipulate the ball to be able to do what you want with it. And, you know, I, again, I think, uh, you know, done right, throwing a curveball at a younger age is okay. Um, I think it could certainly cause issues if you're abusing it, if you're, you know, hawking your wrist too much, and if you're putting too much stress on your elbow, certainly things that you don't want to do. But I, I do think in Mexico, the reason for it is that they are allowed to tinker with it um, instead of sitting back and trying to throw 105 miles an hour with a crow hop every minute. You know, those are the things that I think uh, uh, can really hurt your arm. <laughs> With their shirt off, pounding their chest at YouTube, right? Exactly. That's how they exactly do. right. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They, uh, no, but I think you, you hit on a point, and Joe, that was a good question. I, I think the well, Mark and Will and Jim and, and uh, Cot, they talk about it being taught properly. As long as it's taught properly, it's okay to throw. But, uh, you know, they, they also say, too, the best pitch is a well-located fastball, and a secondary pitch should be a change-up. And, but, uh, yeah, they, they talk about the guys working on the – now, my, my older son pitches. He's a ninth grader. He ju I just let him get on the mound this past year because I'm comfortable with him throwing properly now and being able to locate in a bullpen session. He can throw it over 17 inches, which sounds silly, but a lot of these young kids coming up, they joke, say, how many pitches do you have? Four. Do you throw any for strikes? And, uh, you know, and then now moving it, splitting the plate in half, and then in quadrants. We finally let him pitch in a game this past fall. He threw in two games where – you know, he said, what do I get to pitch that fastball? That's it. Get to, let's see how much we can get out of locating your fastball. And it was fun. He, he learned a lot from it. Yeah, being able to locate is a lost art. And, you know, I'm I'm all for players throwing hard and all those things, but I'm I'm all for players being able to throw under control enough to be able to locate it. You know, 105 without being able to throw strikes is no good to anybody. Um, so, you know, we, we've got to, you know, really put the emphasis on location and on being a pitcher, not a thrower. And th those are the things I'm all for. Key distinctions, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, how, how are you seeing delivery? So are guys repeating delivery down there? Or are, are they mechanically sound? I, I think the older ones are. I think that's pretty typical. You know, as you get older, you have to refine your mechanics more because you can rely less on, you know, your overall elasticity of your arm as you get older. Um, so I, I think they do repeat well as they get older. Um, I, I think, you know, part of the issue with the younger guys is that, you know, their mechanics are all over the place, so nothing's on time. So they have trouble throwing strikes. And you still see that down there, too, with the younger guys like you do here. Um, you know, again, you see a lot of throwers here and not pitchers. And we've got to really stress that more to our guys. Yeah. Yeah, we, we're getting kind of tough, uh, getting close on time here. Uh, yeah, I was kind of noticing what, we'll spend a minute on the fall league before we, we get CC out of here. Um, yeah, I, I was just there. So a couple of the fall league games, uh, the fall star game, it just – I don't know. Maybe it was just because the Dimebacks had such a deep run and, you know, 
wasn't a, you know focused as much on it this year, but it just didn't seem to have the the pizzazz and you know the the star player the the uh, the buzz around it. And I know you know media wise they're cracking down on being stricter on access. And even a scout friend of mine with another organization, he said he was a late arrival and they gave him a hard time showing up. So it just uh, I don't know if the fall league was as fun this year as it has been in years past. So, you know, you know, I only saw kind of, four innings. Okay. So, you know, it yeah. wasn't much of a, of a look for me. I, you know, I will tell you is that uh, I've heard from numerous scouts that the, uh, the, the, that teams didn't necessarily send their best players this year. Um, so I didn't really get to see much of it other than when I saw you and watched a little bit of that all-star game. Um, but, you know, I, I still feel like, you know, the, the, the fall league's a worthwhile thing. I think teams need to get back to sending their top level players, um, I think they need to get organized in, you know, the, their workload for these players because I do think a good fall league is really, really good for Major League Baseball. I think it's a great showcasing time for us all as scouts, as fans, to be able to get together and see the best of the best. Um, you know, if, if we're seeing not the best of the best, then it's not serving its purpose. So it needs to to really get back to what it was, in my opinion. Yeah, I hope so because, you know, just going the last three, four, five years there um, – you know, it, it kind of falls into fewer minor league teams. It, the fall league's always been special. So if you have something that kind of energizes people and promotes the sport, especially at the grassroots, more grassroots level, because fans really like to identify with prospects, because that introduces them to the next, you know, wave of big leaguers. You know, we noted this uh, when we when we saw each other at the fall star game that uh, you had Geraldo Perdomo just a couple of years ago in the fall league for you guys facing Brandon Marsh, you know, they were, you know, on opposing teams and Marsh was with the angels and there they are playing in the NLCS with, you know, Marsh on the Phillies and, and Perdomo obviously on the diamondbacks that you, you, these guys pass cross so much. And, and I find those stories fun and, and hopefully the, the fall league, uh, you know, doesn't lose its zest. And, and like you say, bring the best players out there and, and, and let the, everybody see them in, in these uh, really, really state-of-the-art spring training and, and you know, uh, complexes they have out in Arizona. Think of all the times those great rivalries actually start in the fall league. You know, the, those great player rivalries where they were playing against each other or they were teammates on a fall league team. And now they're, like you said, playing against each other in the, the uh, you know, ALCS or in the World Series or, or what have you, uh, or NLCS or World Series. So, it's really, really a fun thing, and if it's done properly. So I hope we get back to doing it right, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, CC, appreciate it. As always, we could talk all day. Dave, final question and final announcements? Yeah, just, and this may be, hopefully it's not a, uh, doesn't put us too long, but I, I'm curious, why aren't they sending their best prospects there anymore? You know, I, I can't speak to other teams. I don't really know. Um, I know that, you know, our, our office and, you know, from Hazen down, he believes in, you know, sending our best players and, you know, making sure that we have a, a good presence there. Uh, so I, I can't, I, I know we're involved in always trying to send the best of the best, but I don't know why other teams haven't done it other than the fact that maybe they want to, you know, really not put too much of a workload on those players. Um, you know, maybe they, they, there are some injuries that are factoring in. Those are the only things that I know of that could be, you know, factors in this, but, uh, the heck with it, man. I think we should start sending our players and uh, do it as much as we can to make the fall league great again. Yeah, you see, you get you get more at bats, you get a few more innings on the mound. Um, you know, as you you mentioned with uh, Christian Walker early on, you know, people develop at their own pace, and without these opportunities, you, you never know what you're going to become. So, yeah, I hope they get back to it too. I think it would be a great. Um, to me, it would be an honor to be asked to play in it. Oh, 100%. And, you know, the managers and coaches that are involved in it are outstanding, okay? So that that's another factor in this that, you know, a lot of these players are getting to be around different managers and coaches than what they had during the season. And those guys are trying to help them get better. And a lot of times, you know, sometimes that you, you can make or break your career by some information you get along the way. So you're, you're exposing your players to more information, which, again, as I mentioned earlier, is the most important thing. You need to have as much information provided and as many voices as you can providing information to, to benefit the player. So I, I think it'll, it'll be something that hopefully down the line, more players can be a part of. Yeah. Feedback. Like you had mentioned yeah. when we were talking pre-show that, that you like that as a scout, that Joe's son, Jacob likes that as a scout and as a professional now. And um, you hope that trickles down, but no great information. I didn't mean to pry on that, but that that's a good enough answer for me. Um, 
but I hope they get back on it. Joe, do you want, want me to read the announcements and we'll yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll do that and uh, and I'll take us out of here. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, thank you to our audience, fifty-seven thousand and climbing. Another great appearance by by Chris here. Chris, thanks for showing up for us again, uh, not just in presence, but with your delivery. Great information for our our budding audience in seventy-four countries. Make sure you give this one five stars. It should be real easy to do. Um, if you want to do it twice, that's even better. Write some great comments down so we can battle the analytics of the podcast world like they do in Major League Baseball. And thank you to Blackout Coffee, 20% at checkout, capital D, capital A, capital V, capital I, capital D. That's my name, David, uh, with the number 20 following it. Get 20% at checkout. After your first time, buy as much as you want. Tell your friends about it. And then uh, in perpetuity, you'll get 15% off using the same exact code. So thanks so much uh, to them. And Thanks to you, Chris. And Joe, thanks to you for having another great show. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Dave. Again, Chris Carminucci, thanks. Safe travels, my friend. And uh, we'll be catching up soon. Uh, Again, uh, Chris Carminucci, our guest. Uh, Keep tuning in. Man on second here on Real Voices of the Game. And we are out of here. 